This week on Rotten or Righteous, we make the statement, and when people learn that the Sadducees dismissed Jesus, then the Pharisees will rise to the top and be the rulers of the Jewish people in the empire. Rise, Lord Vader. Holy cow, Darth Palpatine. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only podcast that says, Hey, if you want to listen to an actual good podcast, let me recommend Aaron Mankey's lore. Hey, I love that podcast. I know, so do I. It's great. (laughs) With me today, as always, he's been called the Jewish Flavius Josephus, Luke Taylor. Ahoy. Ahoy there, Mankeys. He's just been recalled. Scott Judge. (laughs) <laughs> to Rome uh, That's funny And don't try to call me I'm a millennial so I only communicate through texts I'm Zach Geiler uh, Amen to that It has been Too long since I watched this episode So now I'm just reading my notes And trying to remember actually what happened Last time we were supposed to record Dear listeners, Zach didn't show up Yeah And so here we are filming late <laughs> That is true. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I took a week off. The first time in 67 weeks, I took a week oh, off. Oh, I was talking about last Friday. Yeah, me too. That's twice. You haven't shown up twice. And now we're going to have to record two podcasts this week. So you know the next one's going to be real good. Two young men are haggling for some property from the world's grumpiest looking man. The two men want to buy the grumpy man's land and cut affordable tombs in the surrounding hills for the middle-class citizens of Jerusalem. At least that's what they say. And in the end, they settle for a price of 49 talents for this land, which I think is kind of insane. I looked it up. 49 talents in today's money is worth $41 million. What was it, gold? No, I just took the average salary and multiplied it by 41. Because a talent was worth the yearly salary of somebody. But it matters if it was gold or silver, eh? I'm just kidding. I looked at I didn't do any math whatsoever. I just looked up how much is a talent <laughs> worth, and I trusted the first website that told me. But it was 41. Wikipedia is rarely wrong. It wasn't Wikipedia. I think it was like the Bible. There's this dude that does Bible math, and it's great. Not like numerology. He's not like, <laughs> he's not like if you count every vow in... A revelation. <laughs> no, he just does like how how big the ark was or how much weight, you know, the ark could carry and, you know, math problems of the Bible. And he came up with $41 million. So and then I looked up the average price. Are you opening a Perrier? <laughs> got to represent Perrier. You know, when I go to the store, I'm always hesitant to buy this because it comes in a glass bottle and it totally looks like alcohol, but it's definitely water. I don't think that you should be worried about somebody looking at it and going, oh, Luke's buying alcohol. I think you should look at it and have people worried, be like, oh, that guy is kind of terrible. He's buying Perrier. Only the worst people buy Perrier. 
No, only the most sophisticated among us drink the Perrier Pinky Up. Only, only those that believe they're the most sophisticated among us drink Perrier. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think that's LaCroix. Like, if you're, like, in that position, you're drinking LaCroix and you think you're fancy. But if you're Perrier, you're, like, a, you're like a step above. That doesn't necessarily make you classy, but you're at least, you're trying a little bit harder to get so your life does together. Perrier taste like LaCroix? No. Um, LaCroix God. tastes, like, vaguely flavored water. Well, Perrier, Perrier has flavors too. Tastes like I want all the bubbles and burps and terribleness from carbonation, but I don't want any of the caffeine fun or flavor. See, but I, I love the carbonation. That's all I want. Okay. Anyways, so 49 talents is worth around $41 million. Uh, the average price for an acre of land in the U.S. is $3,100, meaning that you could buy... 12,975 acres of land for 49 talents, or 20.2 square miles. Meaning that they just bought a tenth of Judah for 49 talents. <laughs> good. Well, they said they got a good deal, so... <laughs> yeah. I really have no idea what this proves. It just seems like a lot of money for a little bit of land. I don't understand. I think Dallas was like, hey... Talent's worth around a year's salary, right? Um, yeah, I think that's what the. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think. Okay, let's uh, uh let's say that they pay, uh, fifty years. Ah, fifty's too much, Dallas. You're right, right, right. Uh, forty nine years worth of salaries for this land. Perfect. That's great. Genius. You did it again. <laughs> so the two businessmen tell the grumpy man that they should just sign the covenants and celebrate. Of course, they call it covenants of sale. Why not? <laughs> hey, if they didn't, they wouldn't be able to get this next line. Right. Uh, and the word covenant reminds the old man, obviously, of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. And he's all, you know, lamenting that fact that he's given up his promised land. And the businessmen are like, yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, you can talk to your rabbi about that, but seriously, sign the dotted line here. We're trying to buy a tenth of Judah. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the businessmen makes this face, the older businessman, the bigger one, makes this face that I just, oh, I want to punch it so very badly. His face is just the most smug thing I've ever seen in this show so far, and that's saying something. And I don't really know why I wanted to punch it. Maybe we can discuss it and maybe work out some of my anger issues. I don't know. I understand that. Uh, wait, no. Seriously, I'm this close to a psychological breakthrough and I'm being interrupted by the stupid theme song. After the opening credits at the Chosen Camp, the Sons of Thunder and Andrew are chopping wood when Simon comes running into camp wearing what can only be described as a first century wife beater. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. That's pretty accurate. John tells Simon to put a shirt on before the women see his sweet gains. And Simon says no, his body's a temple and he's having an open house. <laughs> John argues that a strong mind and spirit are more important than a strong body 
And Simon says, Try eating a whole bush of poisonous berries and then tell me how your mind is doing. Is anyone else lost on this line? And I say, wait, what? (laughs) Simon, will you please explain what the world you meant by that? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds more like a... You need discernment of wildlife. That sounds like it has nothing to do with physical health. See, I I listened to that and I I was like, maybe I missed something here, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to rewind it because it was already a slow open to this episode. And, uh, but no, uh, apparently I didn't miss anything. Nope. Unfortunately, Simon can't explain one of the stupidest lines ever written, not just in this show, but ever written because (laughs) Peter comes to the party. And Andrew nags Peter for sleeping in. And Peter asks where Matthew is and is told that the former tax collector is off working with Jesus, working on the Lord's big perform, I mean, sermon. Mm. You slipped there. And and, and (laughs) Philip and Simon walk into camp with apples for breakfast, or I I don't know what they are. It's whatever Dallas Jenkins could pick up at Walmart five minutes before filming. I don't know. They're in this like desolate wasteland where there's no leaves. There's nothing. It's like is this is this what Palestine looks like? And then yet, yet somehow, miraculously, perhaps, they uh find this delicious looking ripe fruit and berries continuously, which sustains them. They're carrying some fruit for breakfast where they got these this fruit, we don't know, because it's obviously still the dead of winter wherever they're filming. And uh, we're told that Little James, Thaddeus, and Nathaniel have been sent ahead to find a great venue for Jesus' performance. Ah, I mean, sermon. Mm, mm. Really have to keep stop slipping doing up that. there. And, and everyone is acting basically like a group of high school girls for some reason at this moment, just picking at each other, and it's really annoying to watch. Uh, but eventually, they decide that they need to discuss security for the big event. After all, they don't want Jesus to end up in custody for a second time before his third arrest in Dallas Jenkins' universe, uh, like John the Baptizer. In a tent nearby, Rama and Mary Mags are having a little Bible study. On the other side of the tent, Mama Mary is sitting with the Ethiopian woman from the last episode. Her name is Tamar, by the way. Tamar doesn't want to do no reading, and she asks Mary... Really? Tamar Tam- doesn't want to do no reading. <laughs> Don't yeah. want to do no reading. <laughs> Again. <laughs> okay. Tamar doesn't want to do no reading. And she asks Mary if learning to read is a prerequisite for all the women here. Mama Mary tells her not to worry. No one's going to make Tamar read if she doesn't want to learn. Outside the tent, Thomas shouts for the woman to come and get some apricots. Those are what those were, apricots. Mm-hmm. No, no, they were apples. Remember, because he says at the end of the scene that the other guys found apples, but he brought her apricots. Right, okay. It doesn't matter. It's, it's all just coming from the, the local Trader Joe's. <laughs> Outside the tent, like I said, Thomas has apricots, and uh, Tamar comes out and relieves Thomas of the fruit. Thomas asks the Ethiopian if his boo, Rama, was coming out anytime soon. But Tamar tells Thomas that his main squeeze is too busy being hooked on phonics to deal with his hairy mess. (laughs) He is an incredibly hairy actor. 
He kind of got the short end of the stick with his outfit too. I mean, if you're that hairy and he has that necklace that automatically draws attention to his neck and chest because it's so weird looking. And then he's got the lowest cut shirt in the whole series of all the characters. He is it's rocking, like, why Dallas did you do this? He is rocking a V so deep that you see his navel. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Tamar does thank the Sasquatch in a tunic for the apricots. Inside a tavern, the two businessmen from the cold open are reveling in their most recent business deal. The smaller of the two men feels guilty because they swindled the grumpy man out of his land. They knew that the land was rich in minerals, but neglected to pay the grumpy man what it was worth, or so they say they gave him $41 million. Now, the bigger business dude is like, bro, we're sharks. And that grumpy Jewish dude was a minnow. Sharks nom on minnows. We're awesome. And the smaller guy just looks dejected and sad, especially when he remembers that the grumpy man cried a bit when he sold the property. What a heart. Mm-hmm. He's going to turn out to be a great guy, I think. Uh, <laughs> the bigger business guy tells his partner to buck up Buttercup because they're just a few weeks away from making Mad Skrilla, yo. They're going to be making it Hail Denarii up in here. they about to live like kings. I liked that. Hail Denarii. Not make it rain, mm-hmm. but make it Hail Denarii. Mm-hmm. ding ling 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 that's the sound of Denarii falling. Ling-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> Apparently, the skinny business guy just got done studying Ecclesiastes because he snaps back, you know that there's only one king, God, so who cares about money? We're all going to die eventually, so who cares? But big business isn't about to let small business poo-poo on his parade. He tells small business that they only did a little deception to get ahead, so really they weren't that bad. But small business isn't having it. He wants to live a life that means something. Something to be proud of. And big business is like, fine, here's some money. Why don't you go away from me for a bit, like a week or two? Then we're taking the little James, Thaddeus, and Nathaniel, who just can't find the perfect venue. Hmm. Jesus did give them some parameters for the perfect spot for his big perform. Come on! His big sermon. Come on, Zach. You got this. Ugh. Uh, I think the knoll east of the Nahalka River looks promising. But it's a knoll. He won't be high enough for people to see and hear him. Yes, and the trees to the south obstruct the view of the Sea of Galilee, which he specifically requested. Why does he need a view of the sea? I think he wanted to be high enough up. Ah, what about the hills north of Korazim? Huh? There's plenty of height. His voice would carry. It's too steep of a climb. Ah. And the distance is too far for the people from Tiberius and Magdala. He said he wanted to keep within a day's walk from those cities. Maybe we're just looking too far north. What did he request? Grove of uh, juniper or gum trees on the backside where we could camp the night before? Yeah. It's like he already knows the place. Hmm? Yeah. Just have to find it. I didn't know that Jesus had such a complicated rider for his performances. He also he wanted a bowl of peanut M&Ms with all the green ones taken out. Oh, and some Perrier water. <laughs> and a six-pack of Perrier. <laughs> Strawberry. <laughs> A.K.A. Perrier, if you're Scott. The trio come across a stone sheepfold with a sign reading, No trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted. Because it's first century Jerusalem. <laughs> of course they had those signs. <laughs> I know you can't I hear it, like dear listeners, but there was an audible eye roll. 
I heard my eyes roll so hard at that. And I, I can't see anymore now. I'm blind by that eye roll. <laughs> it's they, so uh, these three see a shepherdess nearby and completely ignoring the sign, ask her how the view of Galilee was from her fold. And I said, that is too forward. You don't, you don't speak to a lady that way. You don't even know her name. And the sheep lady tells the three apostles to go away. Go away. That's not very friendly. Uh, excuse me. Are you the owner? It's close to visitors. It's very important that we speak to him. This is probably the spot. You have it. You have it here first, folks. According to Jenkins, no means yes. So can we please cancel him and put this show out of its misery before it gets any worse? Here, here. Please. So dumb. So dumb. Hey, I really don't want you here. I think she wants us here. <laughs> Shmiel and Yusuf are seated in the office of the head Pharisee. And they tell them their charges against Jesus. And the head Pharisee here is just over the moon and highly optimistic that they can finally do something about their Jesus problem. Also, the boss Pharisee is happy that his rival, the Sadducee Shimon, called Jesus' work minutia. I mean, technically it was Shimon's secretary who called it minutia, but that doesn't really matter to, to Papa Pharisee here. The Pharisees are not going to let this go. He tells our two antagonists, Make a written record of your conversation with Shimon's secretary. Every word and file it with the clerk of the special counsel for false prophecies at the archive. It must be signed and dated by a ranking Levite. Do you understand my instructions? And Yusuf's like, yeah, I get it, but why are, are we going through all this rigmarole? And the CEO of the Pharisee Enterprises explains, because when this Jesus of Nazareth amasses enough followers and enough detractors, it will get Rome's attention, and then everyone will know that Shimon let this threat slip through his stubby little fingers. Then everyone will know what big turds those Sadducees really are. It's pretty sad, you see. Shmuel's ready to spill some tea. He tells Big Dog Pharisee that it's not just Shimon and the Sadducees, but Nicodemus also protected Jesus. And Boss Pharisee's like, listen here, bro, Nico's getting up there in age, and I think he's becoming a, a few hens shy of a bath, if you get my drift. And no one gets his drift. So he's like, a few minas shy of a talent. A few, or a few palms shy of a span. He's losing his mind because he's getting senile. I can't believe these Bible references didn't make anyone laugh. Took me a second on the hens. All I could think of was chickens. Yeah, it's H-I-N, not H-E-N. Surprisingly, Shmuel doesn't agree with Chief Pharisee's assessment of Nico, but Yusuf motions for his partner to just shut his gob. Grand Puba Pharisee pays no attention to Shmuel's hesitancy as he lays out a plan to let every Jewish leader from the lowly Levite to the high priest himself, know that Jesus is to be placed on their bad list. And why are they doing this to Jesus? Well, as the ringleader Pharisee explains, first the facts. Self-identifies using a divine title from the prophet Daniel. Son of man. Claims authority to forgive sins. Violates Shabbat on multiple occasions. And commands others to do so. Eats with tax collectors and sinners. Degenerate. Then he moves on to the speculation. 
One of John the Baptizer's students is among his followers, and there are rumors of a second. Delicious. We'll never be pestered by that freak again. In Capernaum, there were women of ill repute seen at table with him at the tax collector's house. You're telling me women are among his followers? You asked for speculation. Keep going. He consorts with Gentiles, specifically the Ethiopian woman who knew his name and his origin. The last is very vague and small. Nothing is small when it comes to fidelity to God's law. The praetor of Capernaum ordered Jesus detained when I spoke with his office, they made mention of the fourth philosophy. The zealots? It was just a passing comment. He must be out of his mind. That's all we have. Get the word out, the emperor Pharisee says. And when people learn that the Sadducees dismissed Jesus, then the Pharisees will rise to the top and be the rulers of the Jewish people in the empire. Rise, Lord Vader. <laughs> Holy cow, Darth Palpatine. That was the joke. <laughs> it was well taken. You sound uncannily like him. Did you practice that, or is that just, uh, you know, your given talent? Just, just he's working towards in life. Just, just kind of popped out of my mouth. It's kind of funny. We got Darth Palpatine, Luke, and Jabba the Hutt. Misa scoto squishka hot solo ah ah ah. On a hill overlooking the Chosen Camp, Jesus and Matthew are admiring the preparation going into Jesus' sermon. Jesus calls attention to some of the Chosen who are leaving to spread the word that Jesus is going to be speaking at an exclusive one-night event. And Matthew says, That's cool, but I sure do wish my pals would get along, though. See, they've been fighting a lot lately. And that makes me sad. And Jesus tells the former tax collector, he sits him on his knee and says, Hey there, big guy. Don't get too down in the dumps. You know, I noticed their fights too, but it's to be expected when you open something up to everyone from every walk of life. But hey, what are you going to do? They're just going to fight. Am I right? Let's get back to work. I think this is where we get the authority to send flyers out for our gospel meetings. Hmm. I mean, Mary got him to, had him taken care of, and then they all went out to disperse. No, but here's the difference, Scott. A gospel meeting is planned and prepared for for weeks, uh, even months before it's taken place. While the Sermon on the Mount seems to have occurred while Jesus was just walking around and noticed that he had a lot of people following him, and he just wanted to tell them all the important stuff. Only according to the biblical account. But we're talking about the chosen. They go to where Matthew has been recording Jesus' sermon notes, and Jesus asks how many sections they have written so far. Matthew tells them 19, but they should go for 20 or 18 to make it more symmetrical. Jesus said that they should keep it shorter rather than longer, then asks the former tax collector which section he likes the most. And Matthew tells him the part about dealing with anxiety and Jesus is like, wow, way to be original, Matthew. Wow, great. <laughs> favorite part's everyone's favorite part. Good job, bud. And then Jesus asks Matthew which part he doesn't like so much, which part he's nervous about. And then he says, tell me the whole truth. Be brutally honest. I promise I'm not going to get offended. It's all very striking. But if I do the math in terms of good news and bad, it seems like there's not a lot of... Good news. It's a little bit bleak. I mean, you say if you lust after a woman, then you've already committed adultery. Doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? Then you talk about plucking out your eyes. Uh, 
that cause if they cause you to sin, won't that mean a bunch of one-eyed people? And if you were to, if anyone were to sue you for your tunic, you give them their cloak also. The tree that bears bad fruit should be cut down and thrown into the fire. The way is hard and narrow that leads to life. Depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, your fil- sermon is filled with dark and scary words like this, and and I haven't even mentioned half of them. Then the actor who portrays Jesus, despite what he just said, is clearly acting as if he's offended. It's a manifesto, Matthew. I'm not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a revolution. Huh? And then Matthew- I personally just think Dallas made too much of this like sermon prep business. I'm just like, I was over it. Yep, the first two minutes of the scene. Oh, I love. Like, I don't know when you when you I was, was over it last episode. Yeah, when when, uh, when he was when he was like struggling over the 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 words of his sermon. I was just like, no, I I don't see it. I ain't buying it. You don't need to be selling it. I love it because it's just just wait. When you really dig into it, it, it gets real. It gets real tasty for what we're trying to do here. So yeah, uh, the actor that portrays what us, are we trying to do here? Uh, make fun of this. <laughs> Uh, is clearly offended, and uh, Matthew is oblivious to the tone the conversation has suddenly turned, responds, well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, It's not exactly the best advice for people to rise up. And then Jesus scolds, I said revolution, not revolt. Now's the time of the show where Zach opens up the dictionary. Revolution. A forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. Revolt. An attempt to put an end to the authority of a person or body by rebelling. (laughs) See, those are way different. Well, if you dig into the Greek, you know, it's there. Dallas. Dallas, honey. Will you listen to me for just a second? Uh, There's like six different websites that have free dictionaries on them. Uh, uh, if you would have looked one of these up, you'd notice that they're synonyms in both definitions. That if you look up revolt, you'll see revolution in the synonym section and, in, and vice versa. Uh, maybe you should just get a dictionary and look up what synonym is or what they are. Learn that and then understand what you wrote was real, real stupid, bud. It was real stupid. <laughs> Hey, speaking of stupid, do you know what one of my favorite things to eat is? Cinnamon toast. That's not stupid. That makes complete sense. Synonym. Synonym toast. Mm. <laughs> Join in with this, Luke. Come on. You know you want to. It's been a long time, but there you go. There you have it. Scott's <laughs> one stupid comment that I left in the podcast. <laughs> some, some synonym toast. Jesus then adds some sarcasm for good measure. He says, I'm talking about a radical shift. Did you think I was just going to come here and say, hey, everyone, just uh, keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years since it's been going so great. I don't like my Jesus using a lot of sarcasm. I don't mind the quips and jokes, but I didn't see Jesus using a lot of sarcasm as he was uh, as he's described in the Bible. Hey guys, look, the mm. Pharisees are coming. Ooh, I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that's not the way he said it. You know, the only the only thing this episode was missing was actually like play practice, you know, where they would go through the production a couple the performance a couple times and needed a dress rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. 
Matthew then is still absolutely oblivious, and he tells Jesus that he should work on the beginning and the end of his sermon as well. Because his concern is that Jesus' opener, you are the salt of the earth, might be heard as just salt the earth. Which, guys, I know this is obvious to you, Scott and Luke, and our listeners, but I'm going to have to say it anyways because it's in the show. Because when if someone just heard salt the earth, obviously that's going to bring to mind the Punic Wars when Roman destroyed Carthage and insulted the city ruins to make them useless and barren. <laughs> I mean, that's just obvious. It's the first thing I thought of. I know. I, hardly, every time I saw hardly, my food. <laughs> hardly a day goes by when I don't think of the Punic Wars when Rome destroyed Carthage and then salted the city ruins to make them useless and barren. <laughs> and then Jesus responds, well, Matthew, that's a pretty dumb reason to not like my line, uh, but I agree I should put an introduction on this speech, something inviting people into, as you said, a a complex and challenging lesson. And Matthew goes, I didn't say complex and challenging. I said bleak. And he said, shut up, Matthew. Just, just shut up. <laughs> then Jesus, or then Matthew asked Jesus to explain the salt, or salt of the earth metaphor. And Jesus explains that salt has preserving, flavoring, and healing properties. And he wants his people uh, to help preserve, flavor, and heal the earth from sin. I was like, yeah, I like that. It'd be a good sermon. And then Matthew asks, why doesn't Jesus just say that? And Jesus goes, well, because if I did just say that, then, you know, 2,000 years from now, people like Zach and Scott and Luke wouldn't have anything to preach because all we do is read Jesus's metaphors and then explain them for a living. But he didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) That would just be stupid. (laughs) It's not stupid. I'm just glad he didn't do it. I have, I, I need to make a money. I need to make a money. I need to make my money. I need to make my money, money. Mama. I turned into an Italian when someone threatens my money. Oh no! I needed to make my money. Don't you touch my money. <laughs> I'm preaching a metaphor. They pay me in poison berries. <laughs> Matthew asks why Jesus just doesn't say what he means. And then Jesus is like, Matthew, baby, I need to add a little spice to the sermon. You know, get me cool kids. <laughs> oh, poetry. <laughs> then Dallas Jenkins has Jesus say a line that's, well, really kind of dangerous. He thinks, or he says, Read the songs of David or, or Solomon. I'm not going nearly as far with metaphor as Solomon. I'm reading him next. Well, good luck. He's probably... You think my metaphors are tough? Look at Solomon. I wouldn't even bother studying him. It'll just fly right over your head. <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> this is like the second time... <laughs> This show is like, hey, don't worry about studying. Don't, don't. This is going to be too tough. It's going to be just too hard for your little brain to understand. Which, if you think about it, him telling folks not to study is probably great advice if he wants the chosen to be believed. That's probably why. He's like, man, I can't keep this going unless people quit reading their Bible. Jesus ends this scene by telling the former tax collector, look, I'm writing these things in metaphor because I want it to make sense to some and, and not make sense to others. I, I don't want passive followers. Those who are truly committed will 
peered deeply into it, looking for truth. Well, which is it, Jenkins? Do you want us not to read the metaphors of Solomon because they're going to go over our little pea brains, or do you want us to look deeply and peer into them and figure them out? You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Do you want your audience to know that you're full of crap, or do you want your audience to be blind and oblivious <laughs> and go, ha, 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 they said, Jesus. <laughs> Second one. I'm really sorry that our listeners couldn't see your face right there. That was great. Jesus then walks back to the edge of the cliff and looks back at the camp, which is now empty, because all the chosen are off doing their jobs. And Jesus They're tells hanging him, flyers. And Jesus tells Matthew that he's gonna need a minute. Matthew goes, You gotta take a poop. Shut up, Matthew. <laughs> That would have been the best scene in this whole show if that's how it actually ended. I, I'm telling you that, yeah, some of the stupid stuff we interject, it would actually make the show, at least there'd be something that would be realistic. At a bar, the 37th bar in this season, uh, two salesmen from the two salesmen from the beginning are, are sitting in there. And, you know, little James, Thaddeus, and Nathaniel are are sitting in, in that room, too, just over in the corner with the owner of the sheet pen. And they're trying to convince the owner to let Jesus use his, his pen for Jesus' really big special performer sermon. And the, the sheep owner's like, nah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And like a three-year-old trying to get an extra cookie, the apostles are like, oh, please. <laughs> and the owner stands firm no means no and that's when the two salesmen who overheard the conversation are like hey there's sheepfold owner if you let them use your land you can advertise your sheep milk and and wool and whatnot and the owner's like i, I guess you're right and then turning to the chosen he says you guys never told me your teacher was into capitalism of course you can use my land. <laughs> of course Jesus is a capitalist. And the chosen are like, yippee, we got the perfect venue. And then they turn to thank the two businessmen, but they vanished like they were the ghosts of Rockefeller and Donald Trump. Really, the businessmen just walked out of the bar and are congratulating themselves for their good work. Then they decide to go to the Jesus show themselves. In another part of town, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary Mags, and Mama Mary are handing out flyers to Jesus' big show. They're just giving them everyone a flyer that they can find. They portray it like the Sermon on the Mount was some terrible garage band trying to get people to come to the coffee house where they're going to play their first gig. <coughs> That's a good way to describe it, actually. Like, hey, uh, if you're not busy, you should go to... Go to go to Joe Ann Fabric. It's just a coffee shop. It's spelled J O E dash and not J O A N N E like the craft shop. It's real confusing, but they got a stage. They're gonna let my my band Splatter Paint play there. It's gonna be really great, and uh, we're gonna play some covers of some Bob Dylan, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, I'm not go. I'm not going that. You can keep your paper. I'm no, no, thank you. Splatter. So I was looking up like what the actual lead up to the Sermon on the Mount was, and it was like Jesus was going through Galilee healing people, and like all these people were following because he was doing all these miracles. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. why couldn't you work with that? 
like how yeah. much material could you potentially come up with like just going out throughout the cities of Galilee and yet this is what you do this is what with- you get <laughs> meanwhile Nathaniel you remember he's the the former architect gets to work constructing a stage for Jesus's big performer sermon which does make a lot of sense to me because I recall if I recall correctly the last thing Nathaniel built fell down and crushed somebody. <laughs> Your memory would be correct. So hey, why? everybody deserves a second chance. No, nah, I don't think you, you do. If you kill someone in your job, I think you should be, you know, I'm not talking about like a surgeon doing a risky surgery, but if you're an architect and your design fell and crushed somebody, maybe you should pick a different, yeah, a different career path. The Chosen come back to camp after a big day of advertising, capitalism, and stage prep, you know, biblical things, and they're nervous because Jesus is still off writing, but Peter and Rama calm everyone down, and it's twilight, and Matthew is dozing off when Jesus comes and wakes him up. He has finally figured out what his sermon's been missing, a map, he says, so that people can find me. And then looking down on the sleeping chosen camp, Jesus recites the Beatitudes to Matthew, who's writing down the Lord's words. And oh boy, every one of those Beatitudes relate to one of the chosen as Jesus recites them. And we're given flashbacks of the related apostle and what they're going through. And it's really a special. (laughs) See, the problem with the chosen is, the thing I hate about Dallas is like, Sometimes he can produce scenes like this that are great. And then yeah. they keep people hooked on the chosen. But mm-hmm. then, you know, 80% of it's just trash. It is not a bad <laughs> scene. Jesus goes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see Nathaniel sitting under a tree right after he's lost his job because he's a bad architect and killed a bunch of Romans in the last building he tried to build. And he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we see Andrew weeping at the news that John the baptizer has been arrested. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We see Thaddeus and little James just just being the meekest people that you ever did see. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you portray meekness in a flashback. (laughs) Dallas knew. And then he goes, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we see Jesus talking to big James and John after he gave them the nickname, the sons of thunder. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We see Mama Mary lovingly putting Mary Mag's head covering on after the hammer left throw and returned to Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we see Thomas and Rama smiling at one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We see Barnabas trying to calm down the chosen when they're arguing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see John the baptizer being taken into custody. It is not a it's not a bad scene. The only problem mm-hmm. is is it cuts back to a lot of things that just reminded me of how stupid this season really was. <laughs> and then Jesus locks eyes with the former tax collector and says, "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is going to be great." 
And Matthew smiles and is like, that's nice. But how in the world is that a map? (laughs) Jesus tells him that if anyone's looking for the Messiah, those are the groups they should look for. Matthew asks, what comes after that? And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And Matthew is happy. They finally cracked the perfect sermon. It's the next day and a multitude of people are walking through a field. They've just arrived at Jesus' performance sermon. And Jesus is backstage, literally, ugh, getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if, if Jenkins did this as like a justification of like modern He had to. Have. That's the only thing I can think of is that he did all this to be like, hey guys, look, <laughs> Jesus had a stage and a curtain <laughs> and uh, a fog machine and laser lights and a, a guitarist. So uh, we can too. Uh, you realize you made all that stuff up, right, Jenkins? Shut up! I will smite you. <laughs> Small detail. He is terrifying. Um, <sighs> that's when Mama Mary, Rama, Mary Mags, and Tamar come up to him and says that he needs a last-minute costume change. <sighs> I couldn't believe they did this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no way. They're not. <laughs> I'm about to do this. And, then they- uh, and yes, they did. Jesus just needs a little splash of color so he'll stand out. And the best way to do that is with a sash, of course. Put on a little sash. You know, splash color, get a sash. Sash. Um- <laughs> so, so stupid. And they give Jesus a few options. Jesus tells the ladies that he couldn't care less about how he looks, and Mama Mary's like, yeah, that's nice, but you're going to wear a sash. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. The four women decide that Jesus should wear either a purple sash or a blue sash. But because everyone in the show except for Jesus is just a little bit useless, two of the women vote for the blue sash and two vote for the purple sash. Meanwhile... Peter and Andrew are freaking out and just nervous because thousands of people are gathered to hear Jesus. You know, in the Bible, these people were following Jesus around. They didn't just pop up Mm -hmm. one day. It's crazy. And that's when the living sash splash of color comes walking backstage. It's none other than Eden. The show gets 25s across the board. She's back. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Wearing a dopey looking head scarf like a Muslim. I'll tell you what. Peter is almost as excited as I am to see that Eden has come to the sermon. I think you're more excited, to be honest. And then I said he was almost excited as I am. To see oh, that oh, Eden I'm sorry. has come to the sermon. Then Jesus calls Eden over to be the tiebreaker and solve the great sash controversy of 31 AD. She picks <laughs> blue, by the way. Um, the two businessmen arrive at the concert venue, and the older one tells the younger one to find some seats. He's going to try and solicit this Jesus guy into hiring their newly minted PR firm. The young businessman follows... The Blind Lady and Barnaby. If you don't know who those are, let me remind you, they're two very minor characters from the first season that Dallas Jenkins expects us to remember literally three years after those episodes actually came out. It's like a minor secondary character reunion, as James and John's father and mother also showed up, followed by the arrival of Atticus. Atticus is my fave. The only one missing here is Quintus and his shiny, stupid head. Man, if Quintus had... 
Quintus had been there, that would have been gold. Yeah, but he could, he's too busy. He's too important. He's too busy trying to figure out whether he wanted to eat Jesus or spit him out. <laughs> hmm. Backstage, Jesus is just looking lovely in his blue sash. And there's this touching moment when Mama Mary says that she wishes Joseph was alive to see all this and that she's proud of her son. I liked that scene. That was actually, got, like that hit me right here in the feels. It hit my feels. Right in the feels. Same here. And then Ema is good. Uh, anytime, like, like if, if the show was just Ema and Jesus and a couple other dudes, you know, it'd be, mm-hmm. it'd be good. I don't know. And if you could base, like, the show in the Bible, it'd be good, too. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be secondary. Then, um, I was really thinking Jenkins. You know, Jenkins is like about breaking the stereotypes. I was expecting Jesus to walk out with like a purple sash on, but he just fell in line with all the Catholic white Jesus conspiracy theories about blue. I've noticed there's a lot of Catholic slant in this show, and I think mm-hmm. it might be because the guy that plays Jesus is a practicing Catholic. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, Jesus is in a blue sash. Real good moment with Mama Mary. Then Peter calls Jesus over, telling him that it's time to go. It's curtain call time, baby. And then Barnaby, the blind lady, and the young businessman come backstage to say a real quick hello. And Nathaniel introduces the young businessman to the Chosen as the one who helped them secure this awesome venue. And surprising absolutely no one, the young man tells the group that his name is Judas. Duh. <sighs> no, duh, Jenkins. Seriously, you think you're going to pull the wool over our eyes? You mean this guy that's... <laughs> <laughs> he's the only apostle that hasn't shown up yet. One. Two, he's been talking about money since he came on the show in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was Judas. Why did you wait to the last minute? So this character of Judas, like, uh, did, did the setup... Did anything about him surprise you? No. The way Jenkins sets him up. Would well, you have any predictions for the way Jenkins is going to portray Judas? I think that his idea that, you know, he wants to do something great over making money, I think that's great. But I think over time it'll it'll fade into him becoming the greedy apostle that we know. I, I actually kind of liked the backstory of Judas. I really like the backstory of really all of these apostles. I have no problem with it. Like Simon and his brother and the dude at the... Hill of Bethesda, Matthew's tax collector backstory, Peter and Andrew, James and John's backstory. He does a good job at the backstories and setting up these apostles of who they are. But I just don't like yeah, how I agree. Jenkins was like setting up this big M. Night Shyamalan ding-dong twist here there at the end going, oh, oh that's Judas? Well, who else did you yeah. think it was going to be? Oh, I bet some people were surprised. Dumb people? <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the crowd is clamoring for the show to begin. As Jesus walks to the stage in slow motion, his blue sash is just flown in the wind. He's looking awesome. And Jesus passes the chosen, and they all give a smile and a nod, and no one looks. And Jesus parts the curtain and steps on stage. He takes a minute to survey the crowd. Oh, boy, it's been leading up to this all season, this big performance sermon. And Jesus looks right at the camera and gives a smile, and that's the end. Break <laughs> a leg. But wait, guys. Gotta come back for season three. There's a post credit season two blooper reel. 
Because, you know, I saw that because, you know, any serious contemplative thoughts that Jenkins might have left the audience with. He just wanted to make sure you didn't think about it too much. (laughs) Instead, he wants to to show you John the Baptizer speaking the King James English. If a man taketh his brother's wife, it is impurity. Pick up. You can pick up the pace even more. Okay. And it's if a man takes. Oh, we're not doing taketh like. like, uh, (laughs) I don't know where. All right, fair enough. It's right there in the law of Moses. If a man taketh his brother's, it is right there in the law of Moses. If a man taketh his brother's wife, it is in. I keep doing it. We know he was raised in a good KJV church. So yeah, the the blooper reel just kind of really just put a a cherry on this show. I don't know. Luke, describe your thoughts of the season of this episode and just season two of The Chosen as a whole in one sentence. Such potential wasted. That's actually a good good blurb for our podcast. <laughs> our lives. That's the motto <laughs> of our lives. Oh, it it was weird to me that like um, the Sermon on the Mount takes place on a mountain. This one didn't. I suppose you could could you call that a mountain? I think it's the Sermon on the Elevated Plateau. The Elevated Sermon. No. The Grassy No. <laughs> the Grassy No. And it was interesting to me that when Jesus got up there, everybody sat down except him, which yeah, is exactly, exactly the opposite. The opposite. <laughs> Because, like, that's the first thing they do when he walks onto the stage. And I'm like, um... And then, it was also, you know, he doesn't... Jesus, like, very intentionally calls the Twelve Apostles before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 4. But, like, in this, in the way Jenkins does it, they just kind of, like, show up <laughs> and, like, tag along. Like, Judas, he doesn't get called. He's just, like, kind of joins the club. And I was like, hmm, that's... Like, why? Why, Dallas? This isn't hard stuff. I just it, it amazes me that it took sixteen episodes, sixteen hours to reach Matthew chapter six. Mm-hmm. And and there was no temptation. No, well we we get to Jesus after his ministry starts. If you remember, the first season yeah. is yeah. So we don't see Jesus's baptism. We don't see his temptation. All right, I think Scott. It's it's it's, it's disappointing. I agree with Luke. There's so much potential. There's a glimmer, I think, clear through the season of some scenes that you go, yeah, I really like that. That was good. That helps bring some things into light that's scriptural. And then every episode, there's something that to me is just glaring. That's just inappropriate. It's not, it's not, from the Bible narrative, which they have the Bible narrative. There's so many small things they miss that would help the show immensely if they would just read the scripture. It's disappointing. We've said, we've said over and over again that we don't mind them going off the Bible narrative. It's not. But the thing is, he doesn't. It's not adding new material or having a new. Uh, or, or adding some supplemental information. He blatantly goes against the Bible narrative in several mm-hmm. spots yeah. this season. Yeah. Or he kind of like adds something that should have such a huge impact on Jesus's ministry, but doesn't like the, he got arrested. How do you have Jesus be arrested? Yeah. 
at the beginning of his ministry by Rome. That you, you can't do that. It's just. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. again, you go back and you say, well, there's some things you can take liberty with. That's not one of them. I mean, that is a huge, major event that you can't put that in there. But personally, I'm excited for season three because it's entertaining to tear these shows apart. And hopefully it's entertaining to listen. Before we go, one thing we're going to do is uh, do something we used to do back when we used to watch different things all the time instead of just one show for way too long. And uh, we're going to introduce what we're going to watch next. And this is something that Luke does not know. We want to show you the trailer for Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. But we can't. I've been wanting to get this story out for all these years. Find out why on August 25th. Only on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, uh, we're going to do a documentary on Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Ross betrayal and greed. Yeah. It's not. No, Bob Ross isn't the villain in this story. The villain in this story is that there's this company that somehow got their hands on Bob Ross's image. Like they own Bob Ross, like the company and the image and all of his paintings and stuff. And Bob Ross's actual family is not seeing any money from his stuff. So it's going to help us love Bob Ross even more. Right. It does not oh, okay. hurt Bob okay. Ross. Okay. I wouldn't watch a documentary that tore up Bob Ross. I would rather live in blissful ignorance when that Afro I would white too. guy. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> so you got There's no Thursday. doubt about that. All right. For Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Joseph Smith, who has yet to make his cameo in The Chosen. I'm Scott Judge. <laughs> Before we go, a limbo champion walks into a bar. They're disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. All right. Good night. Walk and Dallas Jenkins. Oh man. Oh Dallas, make stuff up. Make stuff up about water. You just <laughs> bought a tenth of Judah for forty one million dollars. Holla <laughs> Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like that. That was that that left a bad taste in my mouth. Of all the things that have been said on this fucking that that was it. That yeah. is over the line. Hey, listen though. Hey, Luke, did you know I seriously I was doing some research, I came across this. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was Jewish? Uh no. <laughs> yeah, he got shot in the it's temple. Horrible. He got <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's too soon. Hey, I really don't want you here. I think she wants us here. <laughs> I know she said no, but I know what she wants. <laughs> that's a just, real. Just, 
I really hope you get that <laughs> That's going to be just uh, save it. I don't know what we're saving it for. That's going to be in, that's going to be in the blooper reel this next week. <laughs> out of completely out of context, just that those words. I appreciate it. <laughs> Before we go, I got to tell you guys, I'm just so happy I'm not in school anymore. My worst subject in school is math. I tell you what, if I got 50 cents for every math test I failed, I'd have $3.30 by now. You have a lot more than that. (laughs) I liked that one. (laughs) That one was good. Yeah, but Scott ruined it by not laughing. I don't know that. Did you get it, Scott? Oh, yeah, I got it. (laughs) You're telling me... (laughs) 